0: Did we just invent California?
4: Discover
3: why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
4: I mean, when he made that announcement, um, first of all, I was excited. You know, I've been LeBron James, I got love for LeBron James, and obviously he's one of the greats, you know what I'm saying? And um, when I found out that, you know, we got him at Miami Heat, I was super excited, but also I was like, he's a genius. Where else would you go? This is Miami. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the Heat. We already won a championship. You know, what it is is the greats connect with the greats. Winners work with winners. And LeBron is a great and he's a winner. Miami Heat were winners, were great. Our AC in the arena comes down, the air... It's a blessing of greatness.
5: Okay, Khaled. Pretty sure the air conditioning is just as special in any NBA arena. Except for maybe one in Texas. But we'll get to that one a little later. Welcome back to Four Years of Heat. I'm your host, Israel Gutierrez. And this is episode two, Not So Fast. DJ Khaled, the Heat super fan raving about his team's super fans, was... As usual, right in line with other Heat supporters after that extravagant signing party that set the expectation bar so high. When your team has accomplished the greatest free agent signing trifecta the league has ever seen in one offseason, yes, even the air conditioning starts to feel elite. The afterglow of simply putting the pieces together was still so strong. But the piercing, ringing criticism, it just kept getting louder. The critics of LeBron for leaving Cleveland the way he did and for needing teammates the caliber of Wade and Bosh were only beginning to dig in their heels. If you go back to the decision... The answer to the question everybody wants to know. LeBron, what's your decision? To that one moment where he said...
6: In um, this fall, man, this is very tough. In um, this fall, I'm going to take my talents to
5: South Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. That momentary pause in between the two this falls... That was the last moment he would have to consider all of these consequences. He would clearly already done so and made his decision, but that final bit of hesitation, it was there for a reason. If he could have extrapolated and explained what exactly made this choice so challenging, perhaps he could have avoided some of the arrows headed his way. But he powered right through with four words, this is very tough, carrying way more weight than anyone could have imagined. So much so, even his soon-to-be teammates were hanging on every syllable, wondering if the chosen one, as LeBron has tattooed on his back, would actually choose them as planned, or if a stronger force had pulled him in another direction. Rachel Nichols has been a sports journalist since 1995 and has covered LeBron James in some capacity since his high school days. She started her career at the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel, establishing an affinity for the South Florida sports scene, then went on to work for the Washington Post, ESPN, CNN and Turner Sports, and currently hosts an interview series on Showtime called Headliners. Nichols regularly interviewed Miami's three stars for national broadcasts throughout this era with some particularly memorable talks with LeBron specifically. Rachel noted while watching the decision, that Wade appeared to have a delayed response, almost as if he didn't know what LeBron would say, despite the fact that he was at a celebration watch party at Miami's famous Prime 112 restaurant, and everyone in the room was expecting him to say some version of Miami or he. No matter what had been decided when they talked amongst themselves, Wade still recognized the gravity of the choice James was about to make. And given that they hadn't talked in a while, Wade was on pins and needles watching.
3: The thing I noticed the most from that broadcast and that moment was that Dwayne Wade, you could tell if you look back at that video, absolutely was not sure what was going to come out of LeBron's mouth. You can see it on his face. And there was a little bit of presumption on everyone's part, including obviously ESPN that had a camera there at Prime 112 at his watch party of, yeah, yeah, this is a done deal. We're just going to get Dwayne's reaction. And uh, you could tell on Dwayne's face that he was incredibly nervous about what LeBron was going to say and that he was incredibly relieved after he said it. And I've spoken to Dwayne a couple times since then, and he said that not only did he not speak to LeBron for the three days before the decision came out, Dwayne was very open about the fact that he and Chris and LeBron had made this plan, but that he just stopped hearing from LeBron about three days before the decision date and that he was texting and getting no answer. And Dwayne has said to me, uh, I I kept thinking, okay, me and Chris, that's good. That's a duo. Me and Chris, that's going to be great. We're going to be great, me and Chris. So he was trying to talk himself into the idea that LeBron had possibly changed his mind. And uh, I said, so you didn't know what was going to come out of LeBron's mouth? And he said, I'm not sure LeBron knew for sure what was going to come out of his mouth. That in that moment, He thinks LeBron, not that I was having second thoughts, but just the enormity of the situation and what was he about to say was really weighing on him. But uh, LeBron, of course, said South Beach. Dwayne also told me that when LeBron first said South Beach, it took him a second. It took him a beat because, as you know, they don't play in South Beach. So (laughs) it was not the word he expected. The word he expected was Miami or the Heat. And even though South Beach was obviously that LeBron was coming to join Dwayne, uh, the fact that it wasn't any of those three words uh, sort of uh, threw him for just another half second.
5: Okay, let's be real for a second. Do we really think LeBron would have tossed out the ultimate plot twist and said something other than Miami at this point? Imagine the egg on the faces of everyone at that Miami watch party had LeBron announced he was staying home or that he was joining Derrick Rose and the Baby Bulls. There's just no way, right? This had been planned far in advance and nothing was gonna change this trio's mind, right? Right? Well, perhaps one day when LeBron retires, he'll break out the rocking chair and tell us exactly what he was thinking leading up to that day and just how warranted Wade and Bosch's concerns were. In the meantime, Brian Windhorst is probably the best person to ask. Windhorst has been covering LeBron since his high school days working for the Akron Beacon Journal and Cleveland Plain Dealer, before joining ESPN to cover the NBA and a lot more LeBron. Was this the smooth finish to years of planning? Or was the path more of a rickety bridge that could always collapse just before all parties reach the other side?
7: So when it comes to stuff like this, I'm always gonna judge actions over words. So let's focus on the actions. The actions were in 2006, Chris Bosh, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade all aligned their contracts with three-year extensions. At the time, under the rules that existed, those guys doing that was unheard of. And Carmelo Anthony, who was obviously in their association group um, and had was drafted in the same draft class, had the same options, he elected not to do that. He didn't like the, uh, the risk associated with it, and he took a five-year extension. And it's interesting that him his decision doing that ended up causing an interesting development later on when LeBron, Bosch, and Wade all got together and Carmelo had to force a trade, which ended up harming him. That decision ended up in some ways coming back to backfire on Carmelo. But they obviously, at that time, wanted their contracts aligned to allow for options down the road. Um, But the other thing I think it's important is the actions that took place the week of the 2010 free agency decisions. Um, They obviously had discussed with each other the idea of playing together. And obviously, at some point, there was an alignment on deciding to play together with the Heat. And I've listened to all three of their stories. Um, There are certain details that don't line up. And so what the actual truth was, I don't know if we'll ever fully establish. There obviously was a time where they all got together and said, "Okay, it's going to be Miami. And I do think for LeBron, he always thought it was going to be Cleveland or Miami. And when Cleveland made the pitch, LeBron's discussions with them were about trying to add another piece. Um, And all of those teams' discussions were about trying to add LeBron and another piece. That was the what all those teams brought, it was only the Heat that was able to execute LeBron plus two. And it was just simple mathematics that they were able to do that. So in summation, they always left the option of playing together open and took actions with their contracts to make that happen as soon as possible. But actually doing it, I do think came right down to roughly decision day uh, in 2010.
5: By the actual decision day, Cleveland had been ruled out because of Bosch's lack of interest in playing there. And even though it felt like Miami was the only remaining option, there were still lingering doubts about what LeBron would actually say. It was the first and most obvious sign that, even though this was a union of three stars trying to win championships for themselves and their organization, this was LeBron James taking control of his legacy, an extended business trip, if you will. A four-year college stretch as he would later call it. He had to win championships, not Bosch. He needed to start a collection of rings to chase Jordan, not Wade. The pressure Wade and Bosch felt was just as much to accomplish this for LeBron as it was for their own careers. And by the time they'd reached Herbert Field, a US Air Force base in the Panhandle of Florida for their first training camp together, all the Heat players had started to feel the unprecedented level of scrutiny this team would face their ears were still ringing. Nichols could tell the tone of Miami's main three had changed from post-signing party to pre-training camp interview.
3: I actually interviewed them at the pep rally. So there was that joyous moment. And uh, then the interview you're referring to was a lot more defensive. And just to see that change was super interesting because the pep rally, as you remember, was... All excitement, and they got a little carried away as they admitted later uh, with the not one, not two, not three, not 17. And, um, you know, uh, it was joy and it was happiness and it was this excitement about being together and all the possibility. And by the time we got to right before the season, they had had all that time to hear about how terrible they were, how disloyal some of them were, uh, how selfish some of them were. All the things that were hurled at them, and and so much of it was about so much more than basketball or LeBron James. Uh, there were so many feelings about the state of the country. There were so many feelings about race. There were so many feelings about Middle America and people leaving their hometowns and their their uh, states in the middle of the country because industries had dried up and that feeling of being abandoned. There's so many things that tied into why that backlash happened. But you could tell by the time we sat down for that interview right before the season, that backlash had hit them all pretty hard.
6: You know, it's, it's that's all a part of the game. And at the end of the day, do we all know if they booing you because they don't like you or because they fear you? What do you think? I think because they fear you. you. Can't can't boo Jordan. How can, uh, you, how boo can Jordan? you boo Jordan? Because <laughs> you don't like him? You don't like Jordan's game? You know, you gonna boo Maddie's game? It's bird games? <laughs>
3: And the posture that they took was to go on the offensive.
6: We all know everything that someone has said about us individually as a team. The style of basketball that we want to play. We want a defensive rebounding. Those are our main two things. You can't be nice and do that. You know, when you see Jordan take the ball from somebody and go down and dunk in somebody's face, he's not like, oh, I guess I'll take it from you now. And I guess
5: I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll dunk. Have a nice day. And thanks to ESPN for that clip. And
3: they definitely grabbed that idea. If You want us to be the villains? Okay, we're going to be the villains. Uh, LeBron talked about the fact that he had made a list all summer of all the people who had said things to him. And I said, what are you going to do with that list? And he said, turn them into wins. You did write on your Twitter page, don't think for a minute that I'm not taking mental notes right. at everyone who took shots at me right. this summer. Explain.
6: Ain't nothing to explain. You read it. It's <laughs> self-explanatory.
3: What are those mental notes going to translate into?
5: Into a lot of wins. Thanks again to ESPN for that sound. Training camp at an Air Force base was a less than subtle choice by Team President Riley to address the level of dedication needed and the type of brotherhood that would have to be forged in order to complete the championship journey. But it also set the tone for the bunker mentality this group would have to employ to maintain its sanity. Every single word was picked apart. Even the coverage of the team itself was criticized. Remember the heat index? No, it was effectively a separate site from ESPN.com that had multiple reporters covering only the heat, not the rest of the association, just Miami. No matter how minor the story, it got major coverage. Publicly, it was deemed overkill for a team that had won absolutely nothing at the time, despite the fact the site never lacked for traffic. I might've written a few words for the heat index. And I remember finding it strange that I went from a local newspaper in the Miami Herald to a national outlet like ESPN, only to cover the local team even closer. But that was the world LeBron and the Heat created for everyone. And the Miami Heat as a team, as Windhorse discussed, were forced to wear a label they never wanted, the label of villain.
7: He came off seeming like a mercenary there. And a mercenary isn't historically um, a desirable side to root for. Um, you know, they were sort of the villains. Um, then the nature of them being put together was of of, of a villainous act. Um, a lot of people compared what LeBron, Wade, and Bosh did to the wrestling move um, uh, NWO. NWO was cast to be a villain. They were th- their script was to be a villain. The fact that the Heat wore black and that, you know, were from a glamorous place and sort of represented um, a lifestyle in and in a, in a sort of a class that is not the every fan. Like all of it fit into a narrative, creating this team, but doing it in such a way that empowered them. And for it to be an absolute abject disaster in public relations, an area that they saw themselves as like thought leaders in, that was a huge blow. Then for him to get to this team and be generally disliked every time they stepped out of Miami was not something he was prepared for. And it was especially surprising because he thought he had prepared for everything. I don't think he could possibly think that there would be more scrutiny on him that was already on him Um, from being on Sports Illustrated when he was 17 to being on ESPN um, as a high school senior, which at the time was unheard of to signing this huge Nike contract. I mean, people forget Kobe Kobe Bryant was a three-time NBA champion and one of the faces of the league. He signed a Nike contract the year LeBron came in the league for $40 million. LeBron signed a Nike contract coming into the league for $90 million. Okay? He felt like that was a big pressure point. The drama in Cleveland of him not getting over the hump, you know, being with the number one seed his last two years there and not getting it done. Um, str- you know, struggling in his last playoff uh, series with the Cavs. I think he thought he knew what adversity was. And he had seen a lot of it. And frankly, he had overcome... A big portion of it. He hadn't become a champion yet, but I'm sure he felt he was going to get there. And so when he came to Miami, and there was just—the only only thing I could describe was nightly venom.
0: Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings. An official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick Six app now and use code DK Hoops for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DK Hoops only on DraftKings Pick Six. The crown is yours.
1: Gambling problem?
5: The regular season began in the most venomous possible setting, Boston's TD Garden. It was where Wade and the Heat were eliminated in their previous postseason, and where LeBron had so many duels with Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen. It was the Celtics, remember, that also knocked out LeBron in his last game as a Cavalier. This crowd was ready to be the first to mock this Heat super team, and Miami's primary characters gave the crowd plenty of ammunition.
0: 83-72, Boston. (laughs) Crowd starting in with the overrated chance here in game one.
5: If you recall, there weren't many returning players on this Heat team. It was Wade, Udonis Haslam, Mario Chalmers, James Jones, and Joel Anthony. After that, it was a brand new group trying to create chemistry. Well, it was obvious in the opener that chemistry was still to be discovered. The team that was supposed to challenge the all-time wins record, according to some scored all of 80 points in a dud of a debut in boston this is a work in progress um we, we feel like
6: um we all know rome wasn't built in one day you know so it's gonna take time and and we understand that we have to keep on making progress every day and just continue to get better we just miss shots um sometimes they go in sometimes they don't
7: uh yeah uh, we miss some easy shots uh, and uh, never were able to get into a, a proper rhythm but it's not a reason to uh, panic right now.
6: This is one of 82. You know, I'm sorry if everyone thought we was going to go 82-0. It just ain't happening.
7: Players that
5: were starting or getting heavy minutes at the beginning of the season, players like starting point guard Carlos Arroyo and reserve Eddie House, would barely be playing by season's end. Or in the case of Arroyo, not even on the team. Throw in the skill duplication of LeBron and Wade and the uncertainty in how to use Bosh effectively, and it meant the Heat started that season fairly uneven they weren't losses you could easily get over either. They each seemed to come dressed with one enormous red flag, and said flag would be waved on every sports-themed talk show in America until even Heat fans were in a panic. There was the opener in Boston where they all looked like strangers. There was the second loss to the New Orleans Hornets led by Emeka Okafor? The big man had a 26-point, 17-rebound performance and it was a major concern for a Heat team with questions at center. There was a loss to Utah where Paul Millsap went nuts with 46 points, unearthing more holes in the Heat defense.
0: He gives it off to Paul. One more three in him. No! Can you believe that? One point game! At the buzzer, Millsap, the follow up, and oh yeah, He he knows it.
5: There was another loss to Boston, this time in Miami, where Ray Allen hit his first seven three-pointers, and Wade was two for 12 from the field for a lousy eight points. Then there was the loss to Memphis without Wade, where Rudy Gay hit a game-winner over LeBron.
0: Rudy, for the
4: win! Yes! 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 The night was not on when the ball left his hand. He is the hero, knocking down a big shot over LeBron James. Outstretched arm.
5: There was a loss to Indiana where the Heat scored just 77 points at home, and Wade had the worst shooting game of his career, one of 13 from the field. There was the game the Heat got dominated by Dwight Howard and JJ Redick to fall to eight and seven. On the same day, President Barack Obama told Barbara Walters the Heat needed time to gel. It had reached a presidential level of concern. Then there was game number 17 in Dallas. The heat would fall to nine and eight and have a players only meeting afterward it's pretty obvious because it's in the title but a players only meeting does not include coaches that was particularly notable after this contest however because during the game there was an incident that had some questioning the head coach eric spolstra and his relationship with this super team as the team was headed to the huddle for a timeout spolster was walking onto the floor as lebron was walking toward the bench the two collided, LeBron's right arm bumping into Spolster's right shoulder, despite the fact James was looking in Spolster's direction the entire time.
4: Another timeout for Eric Spolstra. Miami still has not scored in the third quarter, but Dallas has scored 13 unanswered
7: points.
5: Here's Brian Windhorst on the first in-season controversy to hit this Heat team, Bumpgate.
7: The bump was absolutely a message. Um, LeBron doesn't do that without sending a message. Uh, Just how far he was willing to go, I'm not sure. What I remember is coming in, you know, I believe the game in in Dallas is on a Saturday night. There was a day off. And coming in on Monday or, you know, whenever the next availability was, wondering how Eric Spolstra was going to react to a lot of speculation about his job status and Eric being absolutely as confident as I'd ever seen him that entire season. And that was a huge moment because while he was certainly projecting it to the media and therefore the public, he was also projecting it to the players. Uh, and he was doing it because he knew, despite what LeBron's messages were, um, that he had the organization's backing. And in later years, it kind of came out, and it's not surprising because this is kind of who LeBron is, that LeBron may have passive-aggressively made some references uh, to Pat about trying to coach again. Um, I'm not sure LeBron ever actually directly called for it. I think he just sort of you know, influenced in his way. And, you know, we saw the same things happen later in his career with other coaches. Um, So it's not that surprising. But I actually think that that was a valuable moment because Spolstra, knowing that he had Riley's back, only emboldened him. And it was kind of like, you know, a teenager testing his limits. He tested his limits. He learned what they were, and they moved on from there
5: we've already established the level of pressure placed on LeBron after joining Miami. His vision of how this was going to go didn't start out 9-8. The obvious place to set the blame was on the head of Spolstra, who happened to only be in his third year in the seat. LeBron's mission to come to Miami and be stamped a champion wasn't going to be ruined by some novice headman, especially when a legend was in the organization and Pat Riley and he'd already done one in-season rescue routine for his 05-06 championship team when Stan Van Gundy stepped down after 21 games. As Windhorse explained, the Heat would stand by Spolstra, even after some, let's call it, nudging from LeBron. But as former Heat point guard Mario Chalmers tells it, LeBron almost had to kick the tires on a Riley return because LeBron didn't come to Miami to fail. He was in the process, in his mind, of chasing and eventually surpassing the careers of Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, the players he watched and idolized. Bryant and Jordan had a head coach in common while earning their rings. And for LeBron, a basketball historian, he figured he'd need a similarly experienced leader with which to pair. And he'd say as much. Here's Chalmers. Um, I would hear bits and pieces of it. But I know Brian biggest thing was he's never had,
0: uh, let me not say the wrong thing, uh, a highly successful coach or a highly sought it out after coach. You know, Mike Brown was a good coach. Um, Spo was a good coach.
5: He never had his Phil Jackson, right? There you go. That's the perfect way to say it. And he, and he says that. And he, he said that multiple times on
0: the team in the locker room. So I don't think it was more of anything against Spo. I just think Spo. I mean, I think Brian just wanted that person that had the accolades and that he knows will really push him to be what he came to Miami to be, and that's one of the greats. And I don't think he's seen that from Spo at first, but once they got it together and you can see them form a, a different type of bond, a different type of relationship.
5: What the Heat were searching for was that binding agent, the unifying experience that clarifies the mission and brings the team even closer. At the moment... This was a team barely over the 500 mark, with a superstar wondering if he'd made the right choice, and almost an entire country reveling in its failures. This wasn't what Udonis Haslam gave up millions to be a part of. It was
6: a struggle. I mean, we had a great, great training camp. Mm-hmm. You know, competition-wise, I think we were where we needed to be. I think mentally, you know, um, it took some. It took a while to get comfortable. You know, nobody wants to step on anybody's toes. You know, we want to allow LeBron to be LeBron. We want to allow Chris to be Chris. I think Dwayne and I kind of just took a back seat just to kind of let those guys get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that ended up hurting, you know, all of us early on in the season. But I think it's something that needed to happen. You know, you can't just go from A to D. You got to go through B and C.
5: You can't skip steps. And I think those growing pains were things we just had to go through. Did the B and C Haslam reference there also mean the Boston Celtics? No, but it would have been really cool if it did. That's a confrontation still to come. For now, it was just one C the city of Cleveland, that would provide just the building block this group needed. To this point, there was an awkwardness hovering over this group. Their joy for the game, their thrill of being brought together, it had been met with a national groan and dulled severely. The resolve they'd built up during that stay in the Air Force Base was being threatened. LeBron was mystified that he was booed in that loss in Memphis, a city that LeBron never scorned. He never even teased the possibility of signing there. After a couple of steadying wins against the Wizards and Pistons, the heat were set for Cleveland, LeBron's former home, a place he knew he wouldn't be greeted warmly anymore.
3: And then of course, you guys play in Cleveland. Dwayne, you recently said you think you're gonna need a police escort just to get out of that city. <laughs> what is that gonna be like?
6: That's gonna... Hey, I'm uh, just gonna bring my camera. <laughs> I just want to get the footage. <laughs> I think it's going to get a lot of booze that night, too. Um, you know, it definitely won't be a, a, a warm reception, uh, but it's, a, it's another game, another challenge for us to, to to deal with adversity throughout the course of this season. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I've got a lot of memories with those fans, and, um, you know, I'm going to see a lot of fans that I've seen every single night for those 41 home games every
5: season plus playoffs. And uh, uh, But I'll be on the other side this time. Thank you to ESPN for that bite. It's one of the developing themes of this heat experience. It was even more of a harrowing homecoming than anyone could have predicted. For seven seasons, LeBron James wore the colors of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then came the decision, and tonight comes the return. And moments ago, he took to the court in Cleveland.
1: For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co/slash-pick-six-states. Void where prohibited. See terms at
4: slash promos Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot
5: Just off Lake Erie is the building once called Quicken Loans Arena. On December 2nd, 2010, Rachel Nichols was one of many journalists who parachuted in to witness the return of the king.
3: You sort of think, okay, we know what fan behavior is like and and what a difficult or tense situation is like. And absolutely none of that prepared any single one of us for what it was going to be like. I have never before or since been in an environment like that. I have been to thousands Of games in half a dozen sports. I've been in super, just covered Super Bowls. I have covered World Series. I have covered other players' returns to cities they used to play in. I have never ever seen or felt anything like that. And when I say felt, the feeling is, is that the building was vibrating. And I don't mean that as a euphemism. I mean that there was so much noise and so much sound that you could put your hand down on the table in front of you And it was vibrating a little bit. Uh, The players would say later as they were gathering in the pregame locker room that it felt like the fans were in there with them. That's how loud it was. And they actually had to cover, they call it the vomitorium, which is a ridiculous name, but it's the tunnel where players walk out from the locker room (laughs) onto the court. That area had not been previously covered in Cleveland, and they actually covered it for that game because they were so worried about what fans were going to throw at the players. And I was there courtside and I saw a battery land in front of me. So I know those were being thrown and who knows what else from other parts of the building Uh, to say the least at the names being called of these players and went way outside the bounds of what is appropriate on a basketball court. And I want to be careful because, you know, there's give or take 20,000 people in that building And I am sure that 19,500 of them behaved completely appropriately. But the fact that you did have a vocal and physical minority of fans that didn't um, really change the experience. And one of the things I noticed as all of this chaos was going on is that LeBron James with his headphones on as he was getting ready for the game looked like he had no idea that all of this was happening outside those headphones around him. And of course he did. We all know that he did. But the fact that he was able to maintain that barrier uh, and that mental peace in that environment is one of the more impressive things, frankly, that I have seen. And we saw how he played during that game. He played like he felt. And uh, you could see it.
4: Now
0: it's time to meet tonight's starters for the visiting Miami Heat.
5: At 468 from St. Vincent St. Mary High School, number six, LeBron James. Windhorse, like myself, was in the building as well. I'd been there probably a dozen times in my career to that point, And when I say the air felt thick, it's the only way I could explain it. Everywhere you looked, there was a sign of tension. The oxygen literally felt different than it did outside. Windhorse had spent countless nights in that building, none were like this night?
7: Yeah. So I remember walking into the bowl and I don't know, maybe it was just a perception, but everything felt different. Um, the light felt different. The air felt heavy. Um, you could just feel it. I mean, you know, typically, you know, before games, you know, there's just sort of just a hundred different things happening, you know, and, you know, it's all sort of unfocused. It's just sort of relaxed. Everybody's eyes in that room were on one person. And, you know, the Cavs were not calming it down. They were putting him on the scoreboard. You know, when Cavs owner Dan Gilbert came in, he they put him on the scoreboard as he walked in, almost like it was a some sort of fake boxing match um, to sort of, you know, pit him as the opponent, even though they're... Laughably not combatants on that court. It was very uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable for me. I can't imagine what it felt like for LeBron. And the absolutely brilliant, just soul-sucking, emboldening, at the same time, performance in the second half that LeBron had.
0: Three in a row. That's when teams get better as LeBron James is just on fire here in this third period.
7: Just killing that crowd with spectacular execution.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, oh, this is not fair now.
6: He, he did say coming in this game, he knows all the spots on this floor, and he's going to every single one of them.
0: So LeBron has taken his talents back to Cleveland. From LeBron James and the Heat, facing this hostile crowd all night long. It's an easy win. And you know that they are happy to get out of
7: town and back home for Saturday night's meeting with Atlanta, the Heat, with their third straight win. They go to 12-8. And, and it broke the Cavaliers because they were a bad team that was doing okay, and they ended up losing more than 20 in a row after that. And the Heat basically had one loss for the next six weeks. That was, that was as pivotal of a regular season game as you'll ever see it,
5: LeBron finished that game with 38 points, 24 of them coming in the third quarter. He added eight assists and didn't even need to play in the fourth quarter. He was talking to players on the Cavs bench after a couple of impressive buckets. It looked like the joyous version of LeBron, at least for one game, was back. And as a result, it appeared the Heat turned the corner with such vigor, they couldn't even see it behind them anymore. The 118 to 90 dismantling of his former franchise would be the third of 11 straight wins for LeBron in the Heat. And it would be part of a stretch where Miami won 21 of 22 games. What team did Miami lose to in that span? That would be the Dallas Mavericks, the team Miami lost to during Bumpgate that got this whole role started. It would provide a bit of foreshadowing, helping establish the Mavericks as one of the Heat's primary rivals in this era. But another rival would also emerge in year one, the Chicago Bulls. And they would soon bring this red hot heat team to actual tears.
7: When Dwayne Wade had two meetings with the Bulls, um, he didn't have that second meeting for fun.
0: The questions got louder. The joy for a lot of people got got heightened by They're they're not good enough. They're not good enough. They're not good enough. They're not good enough.
6: That's the game within the game, you know, that people, you forget, but it's a real war out there. It's it's not checkers, it's chess. I'm just gonna beat them up, I'm gonna make it physical. Um, And once again, that's right up my alley. Like I told you, they wanted me to be here for a reason. You know, they they sacrificed for me for a reason. So once again, I'm gonna give them their money's worth.
7: I believe that the pressure got to them. And I think the pressure got to them in Dallas. And so it made me wonder, if something within him had been broken.
6: LeBron James comes in front of him. They do the little rap video punch thing and all that. I,
0: I remember it like it was yesterday. And then it was like from that point on, Dirt
5: and Jason Terry went on demon time. Four Years of Heat is a production of iHeartRadio and the NBA.
0: test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday
5: i will call upon you
0: to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family
2: vgw group no purchase necessary avoid where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus
5: hey guys back at the playground again huh
2: yep
4: you know what this playground could use a wine country heck yeah